An evil old house, the kind some people call haunted, is like an undiscovered country waiting to be explored. Hill House had stood for 90 years and might stand for 90 more. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House. And whatever walked there, walked alone. Chills, welcome to Haunted House in Hangleton Hove with the usual cast of ghoulish companions. Liam H. Dempsey, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, uh, I am Liam H. Dempsey. Are you <laughs> dead or are you alive? <laughs> quite, quite alive. Fantastic. And ghoulish Matt Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Hello. As you can tell, this is our Christmas episode. <laughs> Merry Christmas to all. Uh, yes, this is our Halloween <laughs> special. Um, we Couldn't you here. tell? <laughs> we are here with the second Spotlight at the Movies, uh, where we're today going to be focusing on 1963's The Haunting, directed by Robert Wise, director of Star Trek The Motion Picture. So there's the Star Trek connection right there a wise choice yes yeah no very much <laughs> um, I mean Robert Wise he's got an incredible back catalogue uh, amazing I mean possibly I would say the kind of most prestigious director ever kind of directed yeah this is Star nuts Trek and this, film, this, is, this is his little film in between essentially two huge musicals West Side Story and Sound of Music yeah 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 so um, but before yes. we get into discussing The Haunting uh, we're just gonna touch upon Cat's Paw the only legit Star Trek Halloween special. Yeah, why, why is it considered legit? Right. Well, because the uh, reason this is from Star Trek the original series, season two, uh, when it was actually made um, for fans of Star Trek, you know this is the episode where there's kind of like actual proper haunted house and everything like that. Always, every single Halloween, uh, all Star Trek sites post a photo of Bones and Kirk chained up against a wall and they're looking at a skeleton and that's always the photo they post for Happy Halloween yeah, from Carl Star Trek that. Yeah. yeah always that um, and the reason for that is because this episode was made wasn't actually made as a Halloween episode even though it's got lots of kind of spooky elements to it uh, but when the network saw it they held it back until October 27th 1967 to play as the proper Halloween episode of Star Trek yeah I think it's the, the plot of this one is where the, uh, the aliens on this planet of um, basically looked into Earth's history and tried to come up with the most fiendish, horrifying sort of experience to scare the Star Trek crew. I think yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with like, you know, haunted castles, spooky cats, scepters. You were saying something about trick or treat. Dungeons? Curses? Skeletons and Iron Maidens? They're all Earth manifestations. Why? I do not know, Captain. 
But these things do exist. They are real. It's like they've landed in the middle of kind of, you know, universal kind of monsters film of like the 40s or something. Are they like in that. costume? Do they dress up? Uh, not not is it, you know, Star Trek. So there hasn't been a Star Trek where they, they knowingly make reference, oh, it's happening on Halloween, let's have a party. Because I can no. see like like a DS9 app where they always go down to Pleasure Plants or whatever. They could have one where they go, let's have a yeah. break crew and have a Halloween. Buffy, you know, yeah. and they had, you know, Giles or something like that in a Mexican costume or something like that, wasn't it? Try, yeah, trying to think so up what every... Front page news. Trying to think up what every character would dress up as as well. It's quite fun. Yeah, there's, <laughs> in season two of Buffy, there's an episode actually called Halloween where all of the... Uh, it's not that the costumes come on live is whatever costume you're wearing um, you become the actual person so Sandra is wearing an army kind of uh, costume and actually becomes a soldier yeah everything like that and uh, Buffy is kind of wearing a kind of 1800s kind of nice dress as so she becomes like a lady of that time and isn't into fighting vampires and stuff like that uh, it's very funny but that isn't Star Trek. Catsport <laughs> like, uh, is Star Trek. An episode that is not as good as Buffy's Halloween episode. <laughs> no, I, I, was, I just joked before we went on air that they, I think my only recollection of that show was that 80% of it was spent in the dungeon with the, <laughs> with the, the three heroes like chained to the wall, like thinking of a way out of it. it just, is, it that, is, is that the extent of the spookiness of it? No, no, I mean, it's, the, like, it's a proper haunted house set. Right. It's like a castle, like a haunted castle. And there are lots of kind of because as Paul says you know the idea is to kind of recreate this kind of horrifying I think it's that classic kind of aliens have got a bit confused <laughs> from you know what's real and what's kind of you know just watching the old data banks <laughs> of like you know, do was look at films. 40 years in the future and watch the Saw films or something like that yeah yeah, yeah a lot more <laughs> <laughs> um, but funny enough what's really crazy about uh that episode it's co-written by DC Fontana who's kind of a classic uh, Star Trek writer she's written loads and loads of Star Trek episodes but it's co-written by a guy called Robert Block um, who actually wrote the novel Psycho is based on that kind of makes perfect sense that he would be writing the most horror-inflected episode of yeah. kind of like Star Trek kind of like ever. Yeah, definitely. Um, so he also wrote a couple of other episodes as well. But yeah, we just wanted to uh, touch upon that. Also, the first ever filmed with uh, Walt Koning in the role of Chekhov, hence it being held back. It was the first one filmed with him, uh, but so it was meant to go out much earlier in season two, um, but ended up being held back to coincide with Halloween. Yeah, I think he does have a better introduction with the episodes they kind of went with actually it seems to get more lines I think in that I mean you don't think you made much of an impression in this in no this I mean I would say that you, like Chekhov doesn't really make a proper impression almost until Trouble of the Tribbles does he like yeah. so that's the first one where I can actually think properly Chekhov's <laughs> having some proper to do okay? but yeah that's Cat's Paw um would we recommend it? Well, I, I, absolutely, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah I mean, would you recommend it to me? Because I have not seen it. Yeah, I, I, you know what? W right, we're recording. <laughs> we're recording this before Halloween because this episode is actually going to go out on Halloween, so that makes sense. I would say on Halloween, get yourself some yourself cat a favour. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Okay. There you Settle go. Down, you want to give yourself a big laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> See if Koenig showing up is the scariest thing imaginable. Uh, I, I think it's that thing of like, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan and you want to kind of tie in your Halloween with something kind of Star Trek-y, then it's Cat's Paw, followed by The Haunting. Because, you know, this is it has the Star Trek connection, directed by Robert Wise, um, and you know, we're gonna talk about that today what? because of that. 
I came to Hill House to find the key to another world. Assisting me in this exploration of the unknown was Eleanor, Nell, who could look back into the past, and Theo, something of a witch who could see into the future. This is Luke, who didn't believe in anything, until evil, patient and waiting, made him change his mind. Stop it! Held in quite high esteem. I was reading in the research for this that Martin Scorsese like, names it amongst his top 11 yeah. serious films. If not, it's number one. So I think it is his favourite horror film. Mm. Favourite horror film. And like, so presumably quite high up on his actual favourite films list. And like, like some of the best horror films, what psychological elements like make it more horrifying than actually being overtly horror? And I think that's, you know, similar to kind of The Innocence, which I kind of say this would make a great double feature with. Oh, absolutely. I agree which is, completely, Which yeah. is like a 1961 British horror film, again, set in a large, like, eerie house with where the protagonist, uh, you know, also has questionable mental health at the time of, like, everything going on. So there is that kind of question. So what's happening for real? What What's in her head? You know, and that adds, like, you know, that whole end. You don't have all the answers. And that was also quite daring for the time. I mean, these mm. two films came along within a couple of years of each other, but they were very much you know that was against the grain like, everything had to be shown and like mm. things had to be you know there wasn't they wanted to remove the supernatural almost from the supernatural they're both very gothic and leading on leaning on the psychological implications of the characters involved I mean so this one The Haunting yeah it's basically about a small group of people invited to a reportedly haunted house by a professor who's wanting to prove or, 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 or lean into the supernatural uh, origins of stuff and it's very much it's interesting how little like the, our main character Eleanor Vance I believe she she becomes the most hysterical kind of person there the other main characters are all pretty much chilled throughout the main thing and it's it's because of how little supernatural stuff is you know potentially going on and yeah I find it really funny how like relaxed a lot of them are just kind of wandering around this like super crazy mansion whereas her she we're in her head and a lot of it's got this very novelistic voiceover from her kind of going on and on about stuff but yeah but apart from the opening which depicts the uh, quick fire deaths of a the lot the of macabre, old residents yeah, yeah. the macabre history that's where it gets full gothic out the gate and then it kind of slows right down I mean I would say that the opening uh, kind of montage of the history of Hill House makes for a stunning opener in my opinion yeah I think when you recommended this song to me Liam like a few years ago mm. uh, you just say that five minutes uh, that kicks off the film that's like oh it's so great yeah. and you were right it was it totally grips you it's chilling it's like it's spooky and it just sets the tone because I think even if you can go a whole hour about potentially anything happening but you'll still know something will you mm. know because of mm. what something has something has yeah so you know that it's got to happen again and I think the whole concept of you know they say uh, Hill House was a house born bad <laughs> um, you know just this idea of immediately the, the opening shot of the film is of the house and uh, and that it, shot is amazing yeah it yeah. is amazing and it does look so ominous it, it definitely shares something with Psycho I would say in terms of just a, a house that just looks scary somehow mm -hmm. and uh, it's full of great shots which you can stay in a hotel these days yeah 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 you, th this is a real thing you can stay where they shot the exteriors and the interiors in different places and the exteriors were shot um, in Warwickshire. in it's England Etting yeah, yeah. Ettington Park Hotel it is now yeah it's now a proper hotel you can go stay so you can it's funny there's um, I think I looked on TripAdvisor one of the recent reviews of the guy saying like oh yeah this was great you know great breakfast great rooms and like I wish I, I'm glad I, hadn't, I didn't tell my wife about the 
history because she gets freaked out and apparently he tells a little story about something going down and then afterwards going like oh yeah this is like a haunted place and it was made uh, for the haunting and stuff yeah. and he was just like oh, I had a great time but my wife was she's divorcing me <laughs> <laughs> like, I, mean, the thing. I, I wonder if they do get a big upswell at Halloween yeah people I'd are coming just down like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah just driving up like you know as long as I don't crash into something on the way <laughs> yeah 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 just, just, just littered like broken cars on the level mark on that tree like, yeah. yeah observe the five mile an hour le- uh, <laughs> speed limit definitely but yeah like I say that opening straight away the, the, the shot with the uh, second wife uh, who dies at the bottom of the stairs oh. um, yeah like, her really rolling all the way down and then like yeah with the eyes open just like Ooh. Yeah, yeah, and then the, uh, the the hand dangling out of the crashed carriage. Yes, and then yeah, being yeah, yeah. hung from the metal staircase. It's full of like frameable, like gothicy, uh, spooky images. Yeah, the idea being that like all these different events have happened um, at Hill House, where it's just constant death, kind of like is causing. Yeah, and it's the all the it's always the women, isn't it? It's always the women in the family who have like mm. uh, who have died. One gets killed uh, on the way to Hill House in like a crash. One falls down the stairs, one commits suicide, like, you know... It's just, yeah, after yeah. the one who dies in the stairs, it's the then, the woman who lives there her whole life, gets old, dies, then her maid yeah. Yeah, it all, c- and then she's suicide the one who hangs well. herself. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, immediately uh, we see uh, the interiors as well, which they were shot on a set, um, but it just... And uniquely for a set, it was also um, Robert Wise's system on having ceilings, to, uh, to basically know. give that sense of claustrophobia usually there would be at no scenes for the, mm. for the lights of course yeah. so you know that I think they, there's lots of angles in this house that they allude to like you know that don't seem to make sense you know it's, and everything kind of leads to like the heart of the house where they have the you know there's a, a cold spot near the nursery where the thing happens and I think there's so many kind of like technical tricks employed by Robert Wise yeah. This. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about like why he was such a great choice for this material in a bit but you know it's so it's so full of innovations like this film to kind of unsettle you um, both visually and sort of like you know sonically actually as well but, um, I think that yeah. that's a really interesting point that you say about um, there being ceilings on it because I think I think you're completely right in terms of it does add to the claustrophobia like in terms of because we are used to seeing films look more expansive mm. and stuff because of sets like you say they're not being any ceilings mm. and just go whereas this does feel like you, you feel kind of coming down yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 exactly and especially that, exactly in this that. time period with film where it can look very stagey like you get these old 50s and 60s films that are kind of shot very front on wide angles mm. and stuff whereas here you can do angles looking down looking up because no matter which way you point the mm. camera the set's there the house well, I think the cinematography in this film is is amazing. Um, it was uh, the DOP on this was Davis Bolton. Um, this is definitely the biggest thing on his CV. Uh, he was the DOP for Children of the Damned, the sequel to Village of the Damned, which, funnily enough, we actually mentioned on an episode recently when we were talking about and the children shall lead uh, one of the worst episodes <laughs> yeah. of Star Trek: The Original Series. Um, but apart, that's that's the other kind of big thing he did. And funny enough. Um, apart from that he was kind of mostly a stills photographer for um, for big movies uh, he was actually the stills photographer for Brighton Rock mm. um, which uh, obviously we'll catch you as we're recording in Brighton right now um, and for people who don't know stills photographer is just someone who's on set uh, taking kind of the official stills for the film like kind of like all the way through um, and yeah that's what he kind of mostly did but I think you can see that because there is there 
there is something about his lensing which kind of almost feel like old black and white photographs, doesn't yeah. it? Kind of like yeah, which is perfect for this movie. Well, yeah, he um, Robert Wise also um, wanted anamorphic lenses for this, but he actually got ones from uh, Panavision, which were experimental thirty millimeter ones, which were um, not not finished, and they had like weird kind of like warping effects occasionally, which, mm. which is kind of added to kind of I think the sort of surreal aspects of this film. But that, yeah, he had to sign a waiver saying he knew they were broken before he used them. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I heard about that. Like, he yeah. wanted them like that because of the weird kind of effects they had, and it does. I do think it has a unique look to it. Yeah, this film. it does. Like, definitely, it doesn't look flat. It does look feel like it is slightly kind of like more three D. Like, yeah, 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 definitely. And uh, so it brings these sets to life, and I think it kind of like a lot of this. Sh- cutaways in this film are so well done in terms of you know you have a lot of scary sort of night sequences where you know things play tricks with your eyes you've got the door kind of moving you've got like wallpaper and uh, various things that look like their faces you know and that's all to do with like you know just things being slightly off kilter yeah. with the lighting yeah. and not like to that. mention the freaky ass door knockers yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah which yeah, yeah. are messed up faces like explicitly um yeah one thing I did uh <laughs> notice uh, where did I get those <laughs> in that opening monologue um, there's the bit where the, the maid who was looking after kind of the old lady who's growing old and dying who ends up topping herself in it like they say something about because she it's because of her negligence the old woman dies isn't it because she was off canoodling with some on the some like yeah 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 and the voiceover says this is where the house is uh, <laughs> evil reputation really begins at that moment where she allows her to well, die because she's been shattered. And I was just like, well, wait a sec, haven't there been like two horrible deaths before this? Is there <laughs> oh, like, that's nothing. They're like, oh, no, that's nothing compared to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, funny how this is almost like an early uh, example of the whole sex equals death, which is very a true, yeah. popular kind and, of horror. And a woman being punished yeah. for doing that. And yeah, it's yeah. a, you know, this popular horror trope of if you uh, have sex in a movie, you die. But in this case, it's someone else dying for your sexy shenanigans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but then she dies as well because she ends yeah. up committing suicide. So that very much ties into that kind of sexy was definitely also kind of punishing women mm-hmm. for having kind of like a sex life. So which or, you would imagine this, this film very progressive in that a it has a lesbian character yeah. like to yeah. screen, and like they don't kill her. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. very, very true. And, uh, yeah, I mean we'll talk about that more no, uh, later. Was it fridging your gaze anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, that's very, very true. Well, um, back in the sixties, and <laughs> yeah, immediately we see the as you say the interiors of the house which I think the production design on this film is absolutely amazing um, by Elliot Scott uh, shot at MGM Studios uh, kind of uh, backlog but this is an MGM Studios in the UK isn't yeah it? they had a, like a UK division huh. to take advantage of like a, a lead levy um, that meant it was yes like, the, the old tax breaks which studios yeah. was this do you know Borenwood why Robert Wise kind of makes a good fit for this like uh, Simon really he you know it was not a um it was something he shot around the shoes a little bit, um, but it was turned down a few. But he was eventually taken up for a million dollars by MGM England, and um, you know he's got to be known as kind of a very budget-minded like director, like quite frugal director, but, like very um, pla- you know his planning and his craftsmanship was always on point, and he could actually you know make that money go really far. And I think it's funny how he like, ended his career with the motion picture, which we you know, all know like had massive overruns mm-hmm. and felt a bit out of control. And I think that's, I think I read that it wasn't a good. Experience 
experience for him because I think it kind of was bigger than he was almost like he couldn't control it we didn't it. direct again for a decade yeah. afterwards and then just one more film kind yeah. Of like, yeah which was ultra low budget like yes. you know and it's yeah. just thinking like that's probably a response to the fact that Star Trek was such a, a big thing and you do get the sense like he's not able to kind of like put his familiar you know, mark on it or kind of actually it just feels like somebody who's really interested in special effects like the effects were kind of overtaking the film there weren't they so oh in the motion picture yeah. yes certainly I yeah. mean motion picture is all kind of about the the visuals the kind of 2001 inflected yeah visuals. I mean could Doug Trumbull is worked on motion picture yeah. as well and right? I think yeah. with, with these like you know he um, often isn't, doesn't get mentioned the same rep as Kubrick and people like that because they were they were people who you know enforced their style on the genre they're working in because Kubrick you know went through the genres and we're looking at Robert Wise and he did every genre under the sun you know, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. we could talk about war films horror films sci-fi you know we've got musicals, uh, musicals times two um, two know, two like of the but, most famous musicals ever yeah like. biopics um, you know and it's just thinking like but he let the um, the story dictate the style so it was like whatever the musical true. like the Western story like that brings out style in him that he wouldn't apply to anything else like yeah. a submarine film he could change it completely so he, he didn't necessarily impose himself on these films it let that he let his craftsmanship like accentuate mm. what was there mm, mm. Yeah. he's yeah you, you're completely right he's very much one of those directors or I think one of the reasons why when I was preparing for us starting Spotlight of the Movies um, I was looking through his CV and just film after film after film that I was like whoa he directed that he directed this like I think there's so many such a range of kind of stuff and he is one of those directors where you go like I wouldn't necessarily refer to him as an auteur like I think like because he doesn't seem to have a distinct style but he's just an absolute kind of um, rock solid directing choice Mm. who just can try his hand at so many different genres and just deliver the goods time and time again yeah you can't picture people at the time who are fans of the novel going like or hearing oh the guy who did West Side Story is doing The Haunting oh no they're going to be like dancing down the halls yeah (laughs) you don't have to worry about him dragging over that style because like you say it's like style per film per story so yeah yeah very very true and uh, you know I'm sure we'll discover well, more he, of that as we go on I think you know he, he started off like an editor and you know uh, it's, we can't go out saying he edited Citizen Kane and you know oh yeah I always forget about so the he fact was working he at Citizen Kane RK Studios which was known for like its uh, budgets being quite low but actually getting like massively six or films out of them you know we've got King Kong was out of that studio mm. like very technical films and no, no more than Citizen Kane which like has lots of uh, you know camera effects uh, and stuff that where you've been added in the editing for example at like the snow globe being mm. you know there'd be film running within that many like, used for the first ever time yeah so, and yeah. I sort of think he's no stranger to like you know camera and editing effects which like you know again with um, The Haunting it's got you know so many of them oh, so many in camera effects as well because I mean yeah. you know this is 1963 so there's no CG kids like yeah I mean this really yeah. is but you know what I, there's a moment in this film where uh, for those who haven't seen it um, there is a door and it begins to swell um, it's literally just almost as if the door is breathing mm-hmm. is kind of how it comes across and this effect it was all achieved physically all it was is some guys on the other side of the door with a big bit of timber which they were pushing into the centre of the door really hard and it just made the door kind of swell in a really unearthly way and 
it looks amazing still even now i watch it and go like it looks amazing. all of the characters are terrified by what could be outside their door there's those of great sound design going on and i'm just like that is so 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 simple yeah and but it just it works perfectly that was it um, sorry but if you imagine them doing that with cg like just doing a swelling cg door do you think that'd be better well you only have no to way. you only have to look at the two nightmare on elm streets original remake where original famously freddy coming through the wall was robert england on the other side pressing against like a fake latex wall and coming right. out same effect in the remake cg looks like shit and this is like 30 years on yeah or whatever. yeah yeah so, exactly and I, I genuinely think if they did that again now in one of the many yeah. kind of remakes of the Hornet. And like, yeah, and there's so many great effects in this, like you were saying, like the effect of Abigail Crane aging from young to old lady in the bed. They yeah, fixed a yeah, camera well over the bed and had four different actresses at different ages just come and lie down. And oh, then... really? They didn't do it with makeup and no, stuff like so that? Yeah, that, four that different is, actresses yeah, yeah. and then dissolve between them to show them getting old. Uh, yeah, I like the uh, spiral staircase like camera work as well. So they mounted yeah. the camera on the uh, the railing as well and kind of moved it around and it kind of shuddered with the with, with the kind of the, the actual structure itself, which was you know it's a plot point that it's actually a bit loose yeah, and it's like yeah. kind of just adds to that kind of everything's out of control here. Well, this is Elliot Scott's amazing production design again, isn't it? Because that spiral staircase in the film has become so iconic because that seems to be the one carry through through all of the different versions. You've got. To get that spiral staircase in because it just looks so weird and kind of yeah the fact that it's really kind of rickety and stuff like that is just yeah really kind of like well uh, used it's quite funny I was listening to the I don't know uh, if you ever listened to the commentary on the DVD uh, for The Haunting it's really good uh, it's got pretty much everyone um, involved really at the time who were still alive when the commentary track was done it's got uh, the writer uh, Robert Wise uh, as the director it's got most of the cast um, doing one of those kind of ones where they're clearly not together but there's like little bits where they kind of take <laughs> over and um the guy who plays Dr. John Markway, Richard Johnson, uh, he's on there. And during the bit where he's clambering up the spiral staircase and it's really kind of falling apart, he's kind of talking about that, how they were basically like proper shitting themselves on that spiral <laughs> staircase because they were told they were told it was safe, but you know he said, yeah, it doesn't feel so when you're on it, going like you know, and uh, it does just feel like yeah. that feel there's something about, about an ominous metal spiral staircase in a giant room that you just look at and in the context of a horror film and be like yeah someone's being hung off that thing well, I, you know I've, I've felt that way at uh, Kew Gardens you know so yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh yeah 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 you <laughs> had that experience as well didn't you yeah. they, 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 they just find it. you standing at the top like swaying off the edge like boy you okay it's like <laughs> I've got a sudden compulsion just to <laughs> so yeah this is very much for me this is one of the ultimate psychological horrors where really it you could read it very much as being completely in someone's head funnily enough I don't know whether you guys know this bit of uh, trivia um, but the writer of the uh, film and um, Robert Wise actually journeyed together to uh, meet the writer of the novel uh, is it Shirley, Shirley Jackson? Jackson Shirley Jackson mm -hmm. yeah uh, because they'd when they were write, co-writing the script together came up with this idea where they decided Eleanor who is the lead kind of female protagonist of the film who is clearly uh, suffering with some form of kind of mental illness or depression or something like that they said 
uh, they were basically doing Shutter's Island years before Shutter's Island <laughs> where they wanted to do a reveal at the end where actually she was in um, a, a mental hospital and this was all in her head and it was all kind of part of therapy and the doctor was her therapist and stuff like that and the banging and, was like electroshock yeah, yeah yeah exactly that and they went to Shay Jackson with this and went yeah this is this is it's all an analogy isn't it this is what it's meant to be yeah. and she went oh, that's a great idea but no it's a supernatural horror going like you know it is meant to be all actually legit but what I like about the film is I feel although they do play it out they never have that reveal there's always a degree of ambiguity all yeah. the way yeah. through as yeah. it still could be even right up to that ending where they go like you know spoiler alert um, you know she's about to kind of dry Eleanor is about to drive into that tree um, th there's this whole thing of from her perspective, it would seem that she goes off the road because she sees what she thinks is kind of a ghost. Miss Moneypenny. Yeah, yeah. But in reality <laughs> is, yeah, is Louis Maxwell, who played Miss Moneypenny, who's in this film. Um, it's actually her. But when she's kind of driving, we get to hear her thoughts. She, she wants to be recognised as someone. Yeah. She wants other people to notice her. And you almost feel like this is her claim to fame. If she gets killed at Hill House she gets she proven gets, uh, yeah she gets added to the list and everything like that and you feel like did she commit suicide or was it an accident mm. and it really yeah. is left it's over it's her like finally proving everything she's believed is true and the only way to do it is to sacrifice herself in a way and be like yeah, yeah. you see I can still lay claim to this but that's the interesting journey for the audience in this film I think is that to start off with you're very much with Eleanor like this all the voiceover from her apart from the opening uh, gamble and you're like in her head and then the journey for us in the film is slowly distancing ourselves and going like wait a minute this is an unreliable narrator story here yeah, yeah. but by the end when we're seeing what we're seeing and hearing what she's hearing there's that disconnect right at the end there and then by the time she crashes and dies we're firmly with the survivors going like well I didn't see anything in the house and she's clearly nuts so she can be here now yeah. and it's that journey from going like we're with her mm. and everyone else in it is so the other side but you realise by the end like wait everyone else has been rational we've only, we've seen what the same thing as everyone else we can draw these conclusions and then when we know that the figure at the end is money penny uh, that that definitely isn't a case of it being ghost. So we're finally crossover. Mm, mm. But but funnily enough, there's a little there's still a little nugget left in there because Markaway does say uh, that you saw somebody in the car with her. He thinks there's somebody in the car. So that, you know, again, it just like you can yeah. still have that kind of like doubt in your mind, like oh maybe there was something still going on yeah. here. But it's enough like evidence it to is, say like, is, oh we can wrap it up. It is the perfect balance of if Shirley Jackson's saying it's definitely ghosts, and they initially had the idea where it's definitely her being nuts. The film. <laughs> Version, yeah, you know, it's like we've done a lot of cooking. We've come to the conclusion <laughs> it's all in our head. Like the, the film really does tread that line of being like it, you could read it either way. You could be but like, actually, it's very funny the Shutter Island connection in terms of it them thinking of that similar twist uh, because of course Shutter Island directed by Scorsese. It's one of his favorite films. Maybe that was his Shutter Island. Island. One of his favorite films. I know Shutter Island is based on a novel itself, but yeah. it's still there's definitely that well it'd be interesting to see if whoever wrote that novel was inspired yeah uh, Dennis Lahane yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, then. like uh, so I'm sure he's aware of it <laughs> quite possible Dennis write in <laughs> uh, so what do we think of Julie Harris as Eleanor Vance because she's looking like a like a young Helen Mirren here I think she's very kind of yeah that's what I was getting yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe at the beginning. Sure, uh, but but yeah. she's she's 
she's very good. Yeah. I think she's yeah. very good. I think you know he cast well because I think you know she's quite a fragile sort of person at the time as well. I don't know if she was you suffering know, depression life. in real life. Yeah. yeah. And I think the isolation like that I think she experienced with her own car- with another cast members really adds yeah. to the performance, particularly mm. between her and Theo, who um, you know her characterization from the book has been stripped back. She's quite abrasive, mm. Uh, mm. you know, and that kind of. But then you know she, in one scene she's quite sisterly with her, and you know it could be that the dramatic shifts in Theo that we see in the film are not actually dramatic as much it's only how Eleanor's perceiving them because she takes everything to heart she's very, very true, offended yeah. you know so while you know we go from scene to scene where they're like best of friends to like you know she's given her shit like Theo's like being kind of I mean it comes across like Theo's quite a a two-faced bitch doesn't it in that if a but we, like you saying we, it's actually we're not sure if she genuinely is yeah. or because you get because you know. often Mark Away the uh, professor like I guess um, would step in and go actually no she was just trying to get a rise out of you or you know just like trying to mediate and mm. kind of like and it's always to play Eleanor like it's never yeah. to kind of tell yeah. it's never to say Theo that like, you're out of line or anything like that well it certainly feels as if the doctor has a fondness for Eleanor, doesn't it? That's how it comes across. Well, yeah, he's picked her, handpicked because she's got the, you know, she's had previous experiences mm. and you had that experience with, like, ghosts, isn't she? Or but, like, when when Miss Money, uh, as we said, Louis Maxwell, who played uh, Miss Money Penny for pretty, all of the original Bond movies? Yeah, first 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when Fifth, she. Four, yeah, 14. When she first turns up, uh, I remember being I, I forgot because I've seen this film before but I forgot she was in it and when she first turns out I was almost like it's played almost like oh he's got a fucking wife like is it because he's coming across quite yeah. I would say as if he might be into yeah. Eleanor like there's a yeah. bit of kind of you know well, yeah I mean he does you know have his like Hugh Hefner kind of like uh, gown on every now and again yeah yeah fragile people to a place where I can have my way because isn't there the bit at the start where someone says to him oh your wife's good and he's like, mm, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there is okay because it yeah. comes across as if. Well, certainly Eleanor didn't know no, that no, he had a wife because she man. seems really, really horrified that she, he's got like a wife. Because I think she was very much she's hot for prof. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and rightfully so. Talking about <laughs> the James Bond connection, did we know that Richard Johnson was one of the original choices to play James Bond? I thought it was Garrett Grant. Like, well, there was lots, obviously, <laughs> but he was uh, on the commentary. Yeah. He says he was in talks to play James Bond, and he turned it down. Oh. Um, he goes on this extended, and he didn't uh, kill himself. Like, well, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He goes on this extended monologue on the commentary, saying he was in talks to play Bond. He turned it down, and he said, "Oh, I think it was the right thing to do because Sean did it. He was very good, and everything like that." So, you know, he seems he seems fine. And if you look at he, he had a big old long career, he's okay, like you know. Um, but yeah, I found that very interesting. He made the very good point of actually, he said, I don't think I would have been right for the role because I think like Connery had a kind of you know toughness and a kind of grit that whereas he's very much kind of just classic British gentleman, isn't he? Mm-hmm. I think like, you know, I mean you can't I can't really imagine him but maybe in the seventies to the eighties it could have been fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. During the more years, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Uh but yes, yeah, so I found that uh interesting. I do really like him in this film. I think he's really good at it. Uh I mean I think the whole cast is pretty great, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh Russ Tamblin who plays uh Luke, who's the son of the person who is he's he's like the, the son? Ed. 
heir to the house. Yeah, he's like a nephew or so. Yeah. So you actually will inherit the house, yeah. and he's like thinking about you know. I mean, that's good because he kind of grounds the film again yeah. in sort of like you know uh, reality that he's just thinking about how he's going to make a buck out of this place. So his yeah. kind of like throwaway things like this is going to be a nightclub, you know, just p- help settle you down a bit and kind of like put Eleanor's. In perspective, I yeah, he's more. the most cynical, cynical as to what's going yeah. on. But yeah. he's fun, isn't he? I think he's a really good presence in the film because he kind of lightens the mood for me. Mm-hmm. You've got a touch of the Tony Curtis about him, I thought. Yeah, like, I think, like you know, um, and he's before this, he was mostly in musicals uh, in Seven Brides, Seven Brothers, and West Side Story, which is obviously how he ended up being uh, cast for this. I do think he has a kind of theatricality to him, going the way he kind of performs, and he's just he's just a fun guy uh, to be around. But what I like about it is again with the ambiguity he's the most cynical the most kind of fun loving one and by the end he seems to be the one still alive at least who's most convinced by kind of because he actually tells when he has that uh, line where he says it ought to be burnt down and the ground sown with salt in terms of like he doesn't he all the way through he's just been let's make some money off this let's sell it and then there's that moment where the door's swelling where he actually says like oh doc I could give you a good price for this house yeah. like he wants he wants to offload it he doesn't yeah. want this house anymore <laughs> and I thought that's a really kind of chilling thing for him to be the most kind of you know up the other scale by the end to be like oh yeah, shit yeah. I don't yeah. Want this. well the audiences contemporary audiences like could didn't get this film it didn't make its money back I don't think or bear bear um, uh, it's only, only grown in stature over the years. Like, um, got to hear that it cost 1.5 million and made 1.2 million. So, yeah, so it kind of, yeah, just didn't, didn't do great. And I think it's just about expecting its place. for them, they weren't expecting something so cerebral like this. You know, you have a haunted house movie, mm. you've got like uh, House on Haunted Hill was a couple of years before. They're kind of expecting maybe a lot more shocks. Oh, was House yeah. on a Haunted Hill before? I think it was 59. Oh, okay, okay. Like, if I only. I'm not too sure. Is that the one with Vincent Price? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably back then. Yeah. I mean, I find it because that's based on a novel as well. Yeah. And I find it so bizarre that it still boggles my mind that in the same kind of time frame, there was a novel called The Haunting of Hill House, which is the original novel that The Haunting is based on, and House on Haunted Hill. <laughs> like, yeah. it's basically the same title, the word text about, and no one went, like, you know, to each other like no one back down like uh, yeah well, also you have the haunting and house on Hood Hill remakes in the same year yeah yeah like, that's what I mean in the sense of when they came out again it's like one studio went oh we'll do a remake of haunting it's just like quickly we own house on Hood Hill get it out here like, yeah. they think, dropped the hill from the title let's go I'd say you know before we move on to the haunting 1999 briefly oh yeah uh, are we gonna like uh, say that we recommend this one because I'm, I'm oh. it's a big thumbs up from me yeah I mean yeah. big thumbs up from me as well um, I think this is one of the best psychological kind of horrors purely psychological horrors um, out there really I think the cast is great it's incredibly well made um, I'd say like literally one of the few things that I'm not so keen on is I think there's some odd scoring sometimes like uh, there's uh, in Eleanor's introduction scene some very odd kind of uh, score yeah. choices I think it works better with just yeah. sound effects that's the score like, of I, I agree yeah. completely I mean, like yeah I would say you know this gets to the heart of me like you know the sort of like what my kind of fears are like is you know being as I look outside in the dark it's like windows like not being able to see what's in the shadows and this film kind of really plays on all of those but it's also sounds that you can't explain and the sound work in this film is unbelievably great 
Yes, and, I agree. You know, I think it's the movie that was the tipping point for me, whereas I braced mono. Like, I'd always been like, this guy was like, well, let's have the 5.1 remix, whatever. Did like, yes! throw, throw out the Throw out that old mono crap, and like, I want to hear it in surround sound. It's like, no, there are some things that are meant to be heard like mm. this. And I think they really worked on like the low end of this, so the bass, um, it, you know, if, if played through back through the right equipment, actually can actually have a physical sensation. Um, so that, that level of detail in the sound design that you can really get if you kind of really crank it up. Um, for this movie I yeah I agree completely I think Humphrey Searle's uh, score here is just kind of sort of slightly wrote and a bit not needed I think sound design on its own would have been much more effective uh, but I kind of think maybe that time that, that would have seen been like what you're going to do with that score like you're crazy like uh, but um, you know I don't think he really I, I look, had a quick look at his CV to see if like you know he'd done anything else notable and really the only other thing is he did a Hammer Horror film called The Abominable Snowman uh, <laughs> with uh, Peter Cushing um, in it which I guess gives him some horror chops um, but you know apart from that nothing although he did do the score to uh, a story of Doctor Who the Myth Makers which I do like <laughs> but you know but funny enough that um, that Doctor Who story is one of the most comedy inflected Doctor Who stories of all time about the Trojan War uh, or the Trojan War myth um, and immediately it struck in my mind yeah I think because that weird scoring where Eleanor's introduced it is kind of plinky plonky almost like comedy kind of like styling uh, I was like is this meant to indicate her like madness or what it kind of feels like it's just, kind a, of, just oh, a mad choice what hilarious <laughs> yeah what a hilarious scene of like her family being awful to her okay? Like, yeah, and I was thought maybe he was more suited to comedy. Maybe that's it. But yeah, sound design all the way. But apart from that, I think it's it's pretty great. What did you give this on Letterbox? Letterboxd, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, great uh, film review site which we're all members of, uh, which we definitely recommend if you're a big uh, film fan. Uh, but your star rating on there? I think four star for this. Uh, four stars. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. slightly eclipsed by The Innocence, which uh, you know, as I say, would make a great B picture to this. Yeah, um, it's great. Movie. Movie, yeah. yeah, and again, it's kind of like really plays on that kind of uh, you know, there, there's it holds shots just that little longer and it kind of unsettles you. Mm-hmm. There's some really mm-hmm. there's some images like like in the haunting which kind of stick with you, like stab you, like you know, in yeah. your subconscious. But Innocence is definitely a scarier film for me, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah well, I, just because there's children in it. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I should say, um, yeah, for people who haven't seen The Innocence, if you've ever seen the Nicole Kidman film, The Others, I'd say that cribs a lot from The Innocence, definitely. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, The Innocence is very, very good gothic horror. And uh, yeah, after you, if you haven't seen The Warning, get on both of them. If you have seen The Warning and want a kind of good follow-up, Innocence would be great. Uh, I would agree, I think a really strong four star uh, from me um, you know kind of close to a, a 4.5 but yeah I'd, I'd probably settle down at four stars what about you Matt? Uh, yeah no I really like this there's some really great standout kind of chilling sequences even though the uh, uh, amount of explicit kind of supernatural stuff going on is very low and it is very much people debating either side of what's going on which adds to the paranoia um, like creepy giggles behind closed doors will never not be scary and the <laughs> famous sequence where she wakes up 
having been gripping Theodora's hand, so she thinks, and there's nobody there, and she's across the room, and the classic, whose hand was I holding line, that will come back later on. Uh, that's great. Um, I love the way it puts you in a headspace, so as she's breaking down more and more, you begin to question whether or not she's ever been sane. It makes you question yourself. Uh, as she's going full on batshit towards the end, like the way it's shot, you've got these crazy Dutch angles as she's running around the house, some really inventive photography there, and the way she's lit as well in that white dress of her very white face. She's, she stands out in every scene that she's in. Um, I think overall I give it a 3.5. It's a strong 3.5. But there's a few others around this time and even before that that I prefer maybe slightly more. One of them being The Innocents, another being Carnival of Souls. Oh, well, I haven't seen that. That's Fantastic. That's a crity for that one. Directed by Herrick Harvey uh, from 1962, so the year just before. And it is out on Criterion. That's really good. You can see how it inspired everything up to like Not a Living Dead. Oh, okay. It's kind of like an early, not quite a proto zombie movie, but there are sort of those kind of figures in there. And also the Spiral Staircase from 1942. Oh, yeah, I want to see Spiral Staircase. That yeah, kind of yeah. jumped ahead, and that's that's another really good kind of creepy one. And that's got uh, mm. Elsa Lancaster and Elsa Lancaster, you know, the Bride of Frankenstein. She's in that as like a slightly older lady. So Spiral those, Staircase isn't directed by Wise as well. No, that's it? Robert Siedmack. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they're two I really recommend checking out. So I think for this one, I, I like it as a, more as a whole than in the moment, I think. I think there's parts throughout the middle where it's kind of like the, the, the professor's study was kind of it had no plan really they're mostly just kind of walking around checking doors and chatting about mm-hmm. stuff there yeah. was no like he, there didn't, is, he, he didn't come some... to this place with like here's what we're doing day one day two as a proper study it's just where's like, your itinerary doctor yeah it's just like yeah. we're just kind of <laughs> yeah. here I think that's it. it loses a bit of propulsion in the, yeah. in the midsection I think that you know it could have just been moving yeah absolutely but, but yeah. performances are great and yeah. the ending really ties it together in a whole like it could go either way yeah. in, in a really clever way and um, as, as an adaptation I think it's great and the way that will come to you later how the remake and the new TV series tackles it as well it makes the film stand alone in a way that even despite there being all these other versions it stands alone it's its own thing it's based on one thing it's inspired other things in this era of similar kind of gothic horrors and it's very unique in itself Okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, yeah, no, you make a good argument there, and I definitely want to check out the other two films uh, you recommended. Uh, yeah, what we wanted to do was try and compare it and contrast it a bit with the uh, various remakes uh, that have happened or other takes on the source uh, text uh, that have happened since, because there was, of course, a 1999 uh, remake directed by Jan de Bont, uh, which actually does have a Star Trek connection in itself. It's got a Jerry Goldsmith score. Um, and now this was absolutely trash at the time uh, came out I actually watched it for this just in terms of comparing contrasting I can see why it was trash it's fucking shit <laughs> um, like you know I mean, this is I, the Liam Neeson one right this Liam is the yeah it's got Catherine Zeta-Jones Liam Neeson or is she in yeah no Liam Neeson Catherine Zeta-Jones uh, her absolute kind of prime sex kitten best late 90s this is like when's Mask of Zorro 98 yeah one year yeah, yeah, yeah. so this is like yeah really Bef- her, just before Entrapment yeah just yeah. oh just for a, a few audience um, members there. It's also got, it's also got Owen, Owen Wilson um, kind of in yeah. a reasonably early role. Before I mean, he, he knew what the hell he was doing. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't that kind yeah. of big yeah. then, was he? Like, some depression. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, it, yeah, Neeson is in it as well. And obviously, really... Who plays the uh, uh, Nell character in it? Because she, wasn't she in something else? It's, well? uh, is it Lily Tomlin? It's Lily Tomlin, who is uh, Lisa in Six Feet Under. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I would say she's kind of perfect 
perfect casting for that yeah. role. Um, so immediately, as soon as I saw her, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, she is kind she's of, yeah, 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 she's perfect for that kind of role. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the cast aren't the problem at all. Uh, Neeson is kind of works as that uh, sort of character, as in playing the Doctor, especially around that time. Uh, this is pre kind of action era Neeson, everything where he oh. was more of a kind of legit. He uh, probably had it in the back. He was more of year. a legit Jedi. Well, he was more of a. I mean, this is even this is ninety nine, so this yeah. is same year as Episode One. So this is really the first instance of Neeson kind of delving into kind of blockbuster cinema. I would say he did Dark Man, didn't he? It was Sam Raimi film, yeah. but that's not. There's still quite a low budget. Type it's not thing. like that kicked off um, a franchise for him. Right? No, no, well, I mean, he did, kicked off a franchise, but yeah, not <laughs> yeah. going um, And uh, it, but later on, you know, now I think Dark Man Three, Dark Man Must Die. <laughs> I think we think of we think of Neeson now, and we think of kind of you know the action era of kind of Neeson films. Although, luckily, he seems to be putting that behind him now, and is about to kind of be in. Widows, which looks absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was in a film called Commuter, so I assume just about an ordinary trip to work. <laughs> like a, probably quite a nice drama. Uh, <laughs> I would not recommend The Commuter, but there is a Star Trek connection. As Shazad Latif, uh, who plays Ash Tyler in Star Trek Discovery, is one of the characters in The Commuter. Yeah. So there you go. Like there is, there's we're always just, we're just collating them all. It in this always episode. comes back to track. I don't think I'm ready to see him in a buttoned-up shirt and tie, though. I would... Yeah, and that's why he's. He's like a stockbroker kind of dude, oh, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it is. Uh, it's not. It's not really that worth watching. Uh, watch the opening, like five minutes. The opening sequence is quite good. Yeah, on the commuter. <laughs> then throw it away. <laughs> then throw it away. Like, uh, but yeah, the haunting nineteen ninety nine. I mean, uh, basically. It's, well, it's Spielberg like had a big hand in like getting this he ready. Did, he did. He did. He was going to do it himself. So it's like, how did it kind of go so wrong? Like, it's a DreamWorks film. Um, yet the production design is far more typical of the time. Very Burton esque, like grandly gothic. Yeah, everything like that. These when you, I mean, it's funny you talk about the fact that in the original they're doing this thing of deliberately having ceilings, claustrophobia. These sets couldn't feel more soundstagey like they're gigantic like no there's no ceiling at all like you know it's yeah. huge and it, there's even like there's this weird it feels more like a funhouse theme park uh, yeah yeah because there's a bit where they go there's this weird spiralling room oh so it's Disney's like, Haunted Mansion yeah yeah where they go in and like yeah exactly they it's funny to Eddie, Eddie Murphy <laughs> I, I, I did actually I did actually think of the Haunted Mansion when I was watching it I was like this seems more like what it is um, which is oh so is Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy is that a, based on a Disney theme park ride yeah I was referring to the theme park oh right okay yeah, yeah 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 so that's what it very much feels like it feels really campy I mean in the original film we didn't talk about these guys in the original film but you've got the uh, the housekeepers yes. who live off site but they come and kind of do sort out the house who the in day. the original film are like another horror trope like the Harbingers because Mrs. Dudley's just going like she's constantly going on about how oh, yes. I don't yeah, stay yeah. after dark you're all doomed goodbye yeah which and that speech does kind of <laughs> that is one of the few bits that carries on throughout all yeah. the different versions um, but in the original film I would say you know when um, Eleanor first turns up at the gate he the, the housekeeper kind of suddenly appears and he kind of does that sort of classic kind of abandoned hope all ye who enter here mm. but 
uh, he does it in a very, very subtle kind of downbeat way. It just kind of it, it normalizes it. He just seems a bit kind of antisocial. Whereas in this, it's Bruce Dern uh, <laughs> playing the character, and he literally like leaps on the gate. Like, what are you doing here? Don't you know the house is haunted? Like, 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 literally, like, and he literally is like that straight away. You're like, this is ridiculous. It's so, so camp. He's a Disney so, employee on like a scare mate. It's just like, yeah. I was like, who's this film directed <laughs> by? Joel Schumacher. Like, and uh, the exterior, funny enough, looks like fucking Wayne Manor or something. It doesn't look like, it just but looks like a big kind of it, posh house. It's another, yeah, another uh, Jacobean like uh, mansion in England, isn't it? The exterior of the second. Oh, film. is that the case, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's um, now a, a school. Uh, it's like the University of Illinois' <laughs> British campus, something like that. Here's where Bruce Dillon oh, right, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's like a bizarre like, House of Mirrors sequence loads of god awful late 90s CG yeah um, I just remember like the carved wooden cherubs or something like all coming to life yeah, or something like that. yeah with this the house it, it's very much the house is all coming to life there's a bit where Neeson is walking along and he's like we've got to leave the house and suddenly a statue comes alive just grabs him by the neck and chucks him into like a fountain and starts like drowning him <laughs> like you know and he's, so he's very much like the house yeah, is I'm still not convinced like about <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's no, yeah, there's no questioning. <laughs> of, yeah, I mean, in this, yeah, there's no questioning of the supernatural element. Um, Eleanor is still portrayed as someone who's got kind of. Uh, She's the only one who's sane this time. Yeah, 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 mental instability. But very quickly, they become very aware of what's going on in the house, and it all like goes absolutely batshit. There's a giant kind of door knocker thing that randomly keeps swinging for a room, and eventually decapitates Owen Wilson, um, which was actually quite shot but I was like oh that's a bit this is only like 12 or like that he literally like fucking knocks his head off and um yeah I mean it's well it's this is that insane awful, period awful. of like late 90s early noughties where studio horror movies like this got these insane budgets to be kind of blockbuster things yeah. Dollars, you've yeah. got like yeah, what yeah. was it 13 ghosts and uh and, and yeah House on the Hill and and, and, and Haunted Mansion of course and lots of these films where it's just like who are these for? Because were they coming out as like summer tent poles, but they're not really. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they're not yeah, really yeah. fully scary. They're all kind of like I don't know what it was. I mean, what I would say is it makes it much more about the inhabitants of the house rather than the house itself. So it's got all this kind of history where the actual guy who owned the house was a serial child killer and stuff like that, and the souls of the murdered children are trapped in the house, and they've actually got to get them out, and she's got to sacrifice her life to let the children out. Yeah. And like, I, I, it's ring a lot bells. I have seen this, but years ago. And yeah, I had me too. Much you tried to erase it from your memory, right? Yeah. So I mean, it's yeah, it's it's proper proper bad. And um, I would say, funny enough, the Goldsmith score is one of the few decent things about it. But even then, there's for the most part, it's it's perfectly decent stuff. But there's a weird kind of clown circusy music type thing yeah. that plays whenever they go into the spiraling room, which plays at the end credits as well, which is really weird. Yeah, no, I think that's the only bit I play on Spotify. Like, oh god. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's convinced me not to yeah because I was like oh Goldsmith I'm in and then I'm out I mean there's a bit I'm out <laughs> yeah yeah that was him trying to get off emulate, this carousel <laughs> emulate Humphrey Searle going like uh, but yeah I mean it's it, it's proper shit um, moving on to 
The Haunting of Hill House. Well, let me tell Netflix's y'all. Netflix's brand new uh, 10-part series. So this is great. So with this episode dropping at Halloween, everyone will have, have time to jump on this. And by the sound of its surge in popularity, it's doing very well. It was literally like released like a week ago. Wasn't yeah, it? so yeah, as Netflix, of yeah. recording, I've seen the first seven episodes and I'm just wanting to get away and finish it right the second. Uh, so this is Mike Flanagan, who's this great kind of... I want to say under the radar, but he's been working very prolifically. Horror director who's come along, and everything he's done has been solid to great so far. So he had Oculus 2013 horror movie with Karen Gillan, and then he did the sequel to the shitty Ouija movie and made a good film. So it's kind of it's a prequel set in the 60s, and it's done in a classic style. Ouija Book of Shadows. (laughs) Origin of Evil. And and it's made to look like it's done in the 60s, so it's got like fake kind of real changes and uh, split diopter shots, and it looks great, and it's pretty solid. The first one's not done like that. No, the first one's maybe just one of those trash, like Annabelle, just blank and then they brought him on and he gave it some style and it's great and he's got a lot of his recurring cast in then he did a Netflix movie called Hush which is like about a deaf woman I've seen that but I I really I'd just like to say quickly about Hush really fucking good if you've seen a film called Don't Breathe uh, which is about a a bunch of robbers uh, trying to uh, break into the house of a blind man and then kind of the battle of wits between them I would say that this takes a similar idea and does it far far better I think it's a really lean and mean ultra efficient film where there's uh, a deaf woman being stalked in a house by kind of one lone masked man and he's fucking again it's, really all, the, it's it. all the shift in, in power balance because he, he's a guy who can he can move around and there are parts where she doesn't know he's right behind her mm. kind of thing yes. it's great yeah yeah. And there's like a whole subgenre of handicap horror there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or they yeah, make yeah. a great double bill, like a see no evil, hear no evil double yes. bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't breathe and hush. <laughs> uh, and then he did another next movie called Gerald's Game, which is a Stephen King adaptation, which is bloody brilliant. It's got Carla Caccino in. And now, now he's got this 10 part Netflix series, and it's brilliant. It's kind of. So the way it tackles it is there's, there's a lot of over recurring elements from the book and the original film, but it's kind of all jizzed up. So there's, there's like character names are the same, but now it's all about a family. So it's about this, this couple played by um, Elliot from E.T. Uh, Henry Thomas. Yeah, who was also in Ouija Origin of Evil. In fact, most of the cast in this has been in all this guy's other movies. Oh, what? Is the, the dad? Elliot from E.T., yeah. And he's great. So it's him and Carla Cugino. Well, young version of him. Yeah, yeah, young, young version. Young version, okay. So it's him and Carla Cugino as this couple uh, living in Hill House, and they're there to kind of basically flip it. They're going to do it up and sell it. And they're there with their five kids, including Nellie, Eleanor, Theodora and Luke, and then there are two others, uh, Stephen and Shirley, presumably named for Shirley Jackson. Um, And the timeline of the series flips between them as kids experiencing the ghosts and the weird stuff and the the big question of what happened to their mum. So by the end of the pilot, you realise the mum's like dead and something's happened. And the series keeps cutting back. And then the present day of them all dealing with this grief and trauma, with them all being in their like late to mid-30s. And it's fantastic. It's kind of like, I've seen a lot of people comparing it to this, and I agree. It's like Six Feet Under if it had like ghosts and oh, stuff in. Oh, yeah. So it un- unfurls at this similar pace, and it's all about all these broken relationships, and then things kick up a gear in the present day timeline when Nellie goes back to the house and something happens to her and that's kind of bringing them all together again and from where it's going it seems like it's going to be a big final confrontation back at the house but most of the plot lines of each episode are split between in the past as kids in the house and in the present cabin and there's just yeah and there's so many like so you've got the spiral staircase back in the house yes you've got 
well, certain things are spoilers I won't say but you've got you've got a moment in the beginning of the third episode with the who's holding my hand moment comes back mm. which is great um, and it's just it's really well made and one of the things I've only just discovered I say only just I've read about it is that there are like easter egg ghosts throughout the entire series that are like more than blink and you'll miss them kind of things it's like they're so embedded you won't even see them but this is interesting because I, I I had heard about well I read a tweet that said this this show is 30% watching it and 70% yeah. rewinding it to look at all the ghosts you missed and uh, I, I took that before I watched the pilot as okay this is basically the haunting the version you've never seen which is just like the, that's the name of the Exorcist re- special edition where they basically went and re-CGI loads of special extra ghost shots into oh. the movie oh. so in the special edition like there's lots of like uh, brief flashes where you see like uh, the Bazuzu demon like what there's like an Exorcist special edition with, yeah like, oh. yeah it's a four, it's a four, it's the well it's it's not director's cut because that's the theatrical it's like more of the author's cut so Freakin did recut it for like Halloween but, like Alien was recut for Halloween right. a couple of years right. back two, 2003 um, and they kind of added in footage that was cut like the spider yeah. walk sequence was there like brief like things uh, throughout like where the where the, the, yeah, the Exorcist talk a bit more but there's an alternate ending to it as well and it's the, called the version you've never seen but they took this opportunity to put in some CGI oh, like God. flashes of demons and I thought okay so that's going to happen it's basically going to be some shit like you know kind of like in the background shots it's like it's going to take all the scare of it I couldn't be more wrong yeah no it's like it's the most subtle thing because the first one I saw of my own accord because I hadn't really heard about this is somewhere in the fourth episode there's a shot of like one of the kids running down the stairs and right in the deep background in the the, the like silhouette of the doorway you could just about see the kind of shape of like a shoulder and head so it's not even like blindingly obvious I think I've had a look there's like there's this kind of like <laughs> list that's come out of like all the ghosts you missed and there are a few that are obvious of kind of faces behind glass panes but some of them are so subtle I've seen ones where it's like just a hand against a window on like the far 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 side of the shot where the action you're watching is over here stuff where there's hands underneath the piano just kind of there the ones where they kind of move in between shots and they're all different ghosts and as I haven't finished yet I don't know how they're all connected to the house yet but you th- there's one I just saw in the seventh episode where it's just like a side on shot of somebody and literally behind them in front of frame is kind of the side of like a, a girl with blonde hair and then later on she's up against a wall later on and it's just so creepy because you could go the entire series and not see any of these and it not really matter but they're there and that's enough to make you be like what the fuck am I seeing I mean we should probably say full disclosure um, I've only seen the first episode of this so far uh, Paul has seen the first two yeah uh, Matt has seen the first seven. seven we'll be careful as we can with spoilers and stuff because we know it's a new thing that well, she came a couple think, of weeks ago you know what we could say is like we've kind of spoiled the haunting a little bit but I think there's you know there's basically this throws that out and says yeah. it, it basically takes characters and then kind of takes the attributes of them and reapplies yeah. them to new characters with similar names but like it's mm. more of a family yeah kind of, like so it's reappropriate yeah yeah, yeah. Matters, so the- Theodora's still a lesbian um Nelly oh, yeah. is there. Was she in the 99 version? Uh, there's there's certainly, yeah, there's certainly hints again, but I would say it's kind of more similar to uh, the original where I'd say, I'd say it's more hints again in the original in terms mm. of like, you know, rather than anything properly declarative. Um, I think, yeah, it, it, it's like that again yeah. where she's certainly, I'd say Catherine Zeta James probably plays it slightly more as potentially bisexual or something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, she's just kind of, Catherine Zeta Jones at that time is just kind of sex personified. <laughs> so like, yeah, it's like, uh, whatever's happening, yeah. it, it's yeah. happening. Like, yeah. Yeah. You've got uh, you've got the Dudleys back. Mrs. Dudley played by yes, Annabeth yeah. Gish from the X-Files. 
Files. Well, um, what a crass. And yeah, what I'll say so far about going on spoilers, like the fifth episode is kind of a bumper-sized one, which has some huge moments in. And episode six has rightly been getting a lot of praise because it's mostly all entirely set in one place, and it's made up of five long takes. So it's kind of, it's like, it's an hour-long episode, I think, and it's like, I think the longest take goes on for like 11 or 12 minutes, and it's made up of all these. And it took them forever to kind of work out. And there's one of the most impressive ones, because it's all set in one certain location and there's a bit where it's a shot that's gone on for about 10 minutes and then it follows a character around and they go through this hall and then into Hill House and it's obviously mm. the two sets were together because it's all the same thing and it's just fantastically done and then it starts doing it with all these child actors who are all great and to think of what they would have had to have put together but also the emotional intensity of the episode because it's all about when they're finally kind of confrontating each other um and it's just it's just amazing and it has a really kind of somber so emotional is, end this was actually the true detective of horror now yeah it's like season one this is the, this is the one think. where in times to come people will be talking about individual they'll say that episode's objective and they'll say episode six and here it is else. we're one week since it's released and you can you heard it here first I can hear you're, prop, you're clearly proper sold on this yes, like absolutely. proper hardcore sold like, um, I mean I great great haunting of Hill House t-shirt Matt like yeah, yeah I'm just uh, <laughs> sponsored by Netflix <laughs> <laughs> just call me Mr. Net. Like, uh, I'm only one episode in. I mean, what I would say is, yeah, it's clearly of a quality. Like, you know, it's, it's clearly very well made and everything like that. I would say that, yeah, only kind of cosmetic touchstones remain to kind of the original haunting. It's kind of all stuff like, yeah, like you said, the spiral staircase, the kind of house itself, uh, the idea of that, and, yeah, some of the names. Yeah. And occasionally little bits of dialogue. Occasionally it would seem, from what you say, like actual little moments that are recreated or repositioned. And, you know, that's absolutely yeah. fine. And I, I get the idea of that. I, you know, Mike Fagan, I've read it interview with him the director uh, very much said you know if I'm going to make this I want to kind of do my own thing with it because he respects the original uh, haunting and well, you know, thinks they've already done that these things to exist on their own don't they I mean that's yes. the thing because right? yeah. it's like it is you know using such great rich material yeah, yeah. Like, you're doing actually something will stand alone and, and with uh, this being a long form story in a, in a series as well like to me it's becoming like the definitive version because you can't even say it's the definitive version of the story because it is no, so far removed it's, from the novel it's, it's not it's not the actual story. But if you said to me right now, like any version, this is way up above. As yeah. The so you consider this better than the film? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because this is the thing. Like one episode in, you, you kind of get how it's looking, how it's coming together. But once it gets its emotional hooks in and the performances really start to land, it's like. It, but when it's you one say, of the most like realistic depictions of family I've seen, regardless of genre of TV. You know? But I think it's almost like when you say better than the film, I think you mean better as in you prefer this rather than it's a better version of that story. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not that story. No. Like, well, the mean, film isn't that story. Well, so. What do you mean? Well, the film like takes some liberties as well, doesn't it? Yeah, not... but not in this way. No, like in terms is... of literally, like the film. Takes... I think the book's rather faithful adapt. Actually, like it does. It's just a little bit kind of more pared down. Yeah, the book exactly. Relies yeah, a lot yeah. of like yeah. narration or kind of like description of the central character. Th that's what you I mean. Kind of yeah, get yeah, more yeah. of a side. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I'm saying, I guess, in terms of the like modern landscape of horror as well, that the 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 line that this draws a balance of between like 
genuinely creepy stuff. Like it's some of the scariest stuff I've seen this year's in it. So you know, outwardly scary stuff, inwardly creepy stuff, like kind of backing neck tingles kind of stuff, and then all the the drama, the acting, everything else that's layered up on stuff, mm. and the technical aspects as well. It's like the whole package. I mean, this is what I would say based on watching the first episode in terms of a direct comparison. Um, I think that. <sighs> It's one of those things where this happens a lot in terms of kind of modern kind of remake stuff. I don't really think there's any reason to call this uh, the haunting of Hill House. Like, like I say, all the touchstones in here are extremely cosmetic. And the thing is, it's not like I remember once having a kind of debate with someone who was complaining about the remakes of the Planet of the Apes films, uh, not the Tim Burton complaining ones. Complaining about them, yeah. The, the new, <laughs> the, 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 the new versions, the new version directed oh, right. by. Um, uh, Matt Reeves. Oh, sorry, uh, I put you in uh, Tim Burton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, kind of talking about that. And he, was, <laughs> and he was saying that because obviously in the original films it's meant to be the idea that evolution has come about and actually led to what's happened. Whereas, uh, I believe so anyway, whereas in this version it's that the kind of they're doing scientific experiments it leads to that. Uh, so it's kind of like done by man. And he was saying, oh, I don't like that they made that change. May as well have called it a different thing. And I was saying, I was debating, well, they could have done, but I kind of think because of Planet of the Apes, being that that at the time was an original idea, I think that if you make something... Huh? No, yeah, yeah, but in the sense of what I mean is, before Planet of the Apes or before that book, there wasn't loads and loads and loads of narratives yeah, about yeah. this thing. Like because people associate the idea of a planet in the future being ruled by apes <laughs> who can now who, who are now anthropomorphic as Planet of the Apes. I don't think you could make a film about that and call something else. I think people would go it's a bit like Planet of the Apes, isn't it? <laughs> Whereas if the idea of a haunted house, as we literally just described we've got House on Haunted Hill we've got the Haunted Mansion yes. the, the oh, Haunted House is a trope there's no reason outside the closet they could have changed all of the names changed the setting everything like that called this something else about Haunted House and it be a completely separate thing the only reason they've called it the Haunting of Hill House is to connect it to that and then they yeah. put a, some cosmetics but out. there are more slightly more co than cosmetic connections I think we get into the history of the house itself I think is straight up but, but seven episodes in mm -hmm. could you imagine if they ripped out all the cosmetic elements replaced them with different names and a different setting and it'd be just as good right? It'll be just as good, but yeah, like it, it's, it's like where do you draw that line? You may as well just say, oh, it's it's this or it isn't. Like I, I'd say, people might go, oh, it's a bit like House on the Hill. I mean, Moonlight yeah, well, House, exactly. That's yeah. what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's a bad Lieutenant Port of New Orleans <laughs> like thing, isn't it? Well, yeah, see, Moon and the Monkeys. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he sat there going oh, what's the move of the monkey because I was thinking rock of the monkey but it becomes that thing it's that thing of everything's got to have marquee value everything's got to be a remake of everything yeah. and I kind of feel like well this is the thing it. with you isn't it you, you like stuff to not connect to something if it doesn't need to yeah like yeah, with yeah, the yeah, Cloverfield yeah. movies we were talking earlier exactly that yeah Cloverfield perfect example and said 10 Cloverfield Lane that was original but that is a case where it's an original universe I guess they're making up as they go along but that was originally thing, a, a completely unconnected script yeah, and they yeah, decided yeah. to reappropriate it to make it a Cloverfield film yes. whereas there's absolutely no reason to whatsoever and it's a fit and now that's 
come back to bite them in the ass with their new kind yeah. of OMF and that. Um, I mean, I'd, so, say, I'd say the biggest difference with the show is that it's about these characters as family. So in the book, it's, you know, professor and subjects. Here, it's family. They're the yes. two main things, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, they've yeah. crossed over some aspects, but, you know, it does all kind of tie in. And it's stuff, not, well, yeah. yeah, and it's not, an, uh, not only is it a family, but it's not an experiment either no. in terms of, like, you know. And uh, what I'd say is, for me... I reckon I would like this based on the first episode a lot more if there was no connection to oh I don't mind it at all I think it's great I think it's like a nice nice premise but I think it's like yeah it actually makes me enjoy it more that they haven't like gone back and done it it's like a mean of experiment because I just don't see that having the legs for 10 episodes oh yeah neither do I I. but then I'm like why not just do a haunted house series that's got nothing to do with haunting of Hill house whatsoever yeah because I think you you're like helping people to kind of expect certain things about like the psychological element of it you know I think people are more on edge if they know the haunting they're like okay do I'm you think bring anyone my... watching your Netflix like in general the general Netflix audience who go not not us not kind of film nerds but the general Netflix audience who are making this a success well I think you know, if, if you, no, if, well no because if you there's enough elements that are sort of mm. similar that people would just accuse it of being um, you know a copy yeah. if uh, it makes them go back and watch the original film or read the book then that's, that's then that's great, great. but yeah. what I'm saying is I reckon if you stripped all those elements out so it's literally just a haunted house story but now about this family thing no one would ever go oh it's a bit like the haunting isn't it like, it depends oh, right, right, right. how much we're watching it like we wouldn't be watching it no no we it depends, be, it depends but... how much the story elements at its core tie into plot elements from yeah, yeah, yeah. which is happening there's yeah, yeah, yeah. I think possibly on. we wouldn't be but I would argue that Netflix general audience is very mass consumer yeah. and it, most people aren't going oh just pull off my uh, DVD of Robert Wise's <laughs> The Haunting and that I would say one of the interesting things is I hope I really hope that maybe someone who's watched only The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix like listens to this not even being aware of the haunting film and goes back and discovers yeah. that because one thing I would say in regards to the um, much of, I should say I'm definitely going to watch more than the first episode it's, it's very well made I actually like Mike Flanagan the director uh, have you seen his other films no, Paul? no. Um, Hush I'd really recommend big time Gerald's Game uh, which he directed uh, which is on Netflix as well both Hush and Gerald's Game are on Netflix uh, is is decent as well interesting film uh, I'd say they're both like you know yeah, very well done um, but like I would say he's a good talented director and an interesting um, uh, author um, but I would say it's funny how this is definitely I would definitely describe it as subtle uh, in the way it's kind of made kind of like you know the most kind of cl- it feels more leaning towards a hereditary mm. A24 vibe yeah, yeah, than yeah. like a Blumhouse kind of thing but Put up against the original in terms of subtlety, not subtle. In terms of like immediately the pre-tiles, the first episode, immediately there's a bit of CG with kind of the bit of the wall coming out towards the girl cover with a ghost kind of coming out of the wall in the pre-tiles, and I was immediately. But if like, you're just judging this by how much you see, obviously the original film wins because yeah. you see. Fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. In terms of what I'm saying is, I don't think now you could make the original film now on whack no. out on Netflix like a new especially, version especially completely... not as a series where it's no no like exactly like yeah. where there was no kind of like literally it is bone dry psychological kind of uh, drama I think now people are unless too unless that was almost of... the entire twist yeah yeah, go, yeah yeah here's yeah. a ghost film psych 
It's not. But I think <laughs> people now wouldn't... So you watch this and you go, oh, well, this is more subtle than the jump, jump, bang yeah. of, like, Blumhouse. But it's still more so. You've still got kind of weird screaming faces and stuff like that and, like, well, yeah, ghostly I think, figures. I think, you know, but two episodes in, I would say that maybe a little bit, there's, there's probably been too many of those moments in the first episode. But, mm. like, it just... I, yeah, do I think, think that probably helps the algorithm, you know. Yeah. They make stuff for that now. And it's like... Because yeah. it does it does chill out. There's, there's yeah. like, entire episodes and where there's, it, like, you see nothing. So it does tie in second film yeah and it's very much like this is your prologue your five yeah. minute, your f- first five minutes yeah. of that and um, second episode certainly like they hold shots longer than a lot of things have yeah. de- the, the right. balls and especially the sixth episode days. which is like a family arguing in a funeral home for the whole episode and there's like you just revealed where it was I did but I didn't say <laughs> who it was spoilers like, one of the characters works in the funeral home so there you go you okay, okay. And that's the six feet under comparison well I mean that's very, so you, yeah you're, it seems you're sold on this as well Paul oh, like, yeah, um, like, the only only thing that's going to stop me finishing it is my own nerves <laughs> um, I genuinely like have reservations that I'll make it through to the end because I might just get oh, well I mean I, you, I, I did, did you not say that you watched it with Sophie well, friend of the show who's been yeah, on before Sophie well she did the wrong thing in terms of like we watched it separately the first one because I watched some of it right. at work and then I, and I kind of said okay well I'm up to this point you catch up and so she was already shit shitting it <laughs> by the time we kind of like, got to the end and finished the first episode and we both like yeah, we floored by the end of that. But no spoilers there. But like second episode, she watched it over back to it, and I had to describe. <laughs> it was just audio, like live audio description. Yeah, it was an audio description. Man, and just room. <laughs> and I mean, I watched it uh, with Eleanor, uh, who's been on this show before for our well, first it's JJ movie. For her, because the house joke. is calling to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. This is the thing. Well, because she's she's seen the original, right? This perfect song. She's seen the original. She's a big fan of the original. She really liked it. She's not a big fan of the character of Eleanor in the original. She fucking hated that. Um, anyway, she the thing she loves about that is it is all psychological. So that's because she's a wimp. We we, we were talking. And I said, "Oh, you heard watch, me, Eleanor." I'm going to watch the Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. She said, "Oh, do you want to watch it together?" Right? And we watched the first episode uh, together, and within 15 minutes, she was like, "Oh, I'm not going to watch another episode of this." That's a stamp of approval. Like, in, she was like, it was, "It was it was too much for her straight away." Because and she watched it. She said, "Yeah, it was good and everything," but I thought it was going to be more like the first. One a more kind of you know pure psychological and immediately it's too much for me. Well, it's interesting so that you, you bring up you know the pure psychological aspect because the show is nothing if not incredibly psychological. Mm-hmm. The entire show is based on the psyches of these characters. Not psychological enough, <laughs> but it involves it does involve the supernatural. That's the thing. But it's interesting that she that's what she wanted from the show yeah. because that is a hundred percent what it is. But you have to get past the spooky stuff. Wow. And if she can't, then you have she to can't. write it out. Like, it is a haunted, like, house for you to navigate. Like, you haunted to... house ride. Yeah, it is the haunted mansion. It yeah. is a ride. It definitely feels like that. A bit, <laughs> but, um, a bit like Cat's Paw was like a yeah. ride going through London Dungeon. Uh, <laughs> you know, but... And yeah, and there are probably people listening to this episode today on Halloween who have now done the entire show and are screaming at us about certain things, how yeah, it all goes. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. You, you, so you know better than us. Yeah. <laughs> but 100%, it is definitely better than Jan de Bont. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, oh, Jan, here's a warning for you. Don't go and watch the 1999. That's the real horror movie right there. Like, literally, just the experience of fucking watching it. Like, uh, fucking hell. Um, but yeah, so I would say, has anyone else got anything to say about um, I'll, ju- I'll just sum up with this quote from Shirley Jackson Ooh. who I think it's from her 
when she was saying... Well, it says she was the first author to understand that, quote, so she must have said this, houses aren't haunted, people are. All the most terrible spectres are already there inside your head, just waiting for the cellar door of the subconscious to spring open so they can get out, sink their icy claws into you. In the story, the house toys with the mind of our heroes, just like the cat with the mouse, with a fascinated, joyful cruelty. Nothing is more terrifying than being betrayed by your own senses and psyche. <laughs> Shirley, right in from beyond the grave, if that wasn't you. Uh, is she dead? <laughs> <laughs> Putting her in the ground. If like... anyone, she'd have the power to come back to us, I think. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, the haunting of Hangleton? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's a really interesting chat, actually, to compare and contrast yeah. all, all of those together. It's um, great that we had something that had source novel, original movie, remake movie, TV adaptation. Yeah. All, yeah. all out. That yeah, we, we can't promise this every week. No, no. <laughs> and I mean, you can watch The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix right now. Um, unfortunately, uh, Robert Wise's The Haunting um, is not on Netflix UK, at least. It might be on US. I think it might be more of a Prime. Amazon Prime. I think. Maybe, or like a, you know, Amazon thing. Because it's like, it's MGM, I think. they're. You got now. it from good old Cinema Paradiso, right? No, no, I, I own uh, ah. The Haunting on DVD. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've seen it quite a number of times. It's a bit, a bit of a Halloween favourite. Uh, Wait, we're talking so. about 99. No, so no, no. How did you see 99? Oh, from Cinema Paradise. That's right. Uh, the physical you, media house. You mean nobody else had it? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, no. mate, can I borrow your haunting 99? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I did only on uh, DVD as well. It wasn't on Blu ray. So, you know, may not have managed to No one needs Blu-ray to see that any clearer. Just yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we will be back soon with another spotlight uh, at the movies. But in between, uh, then now we'll be having some other episodes. Uh, I think we've got an interview coming up we've also got uh, an episode finally on the Star Trek comics which we're planning on doing uh, we'll be doing that but we will be back with another spotlight at the movies uh, I believe our next one is going to be one of your choices Paul which is Tony Scott's Unstoppable starring Captain Kirk himself mm-hmm. Chris Pine that's right Shanna you heard me <laughs> Pine is Kirk now <laughs> look at so, me it. I'm the captain so, I had another opportunity to like look at a, a director uh, you know, we quite enjoy his back catalogue. You know, yeah, so I think, you very know, true. If, if nothing else is like interested to Robert Wise, definitely check out some other stuff he's done. Oh, um, we'll be covering other Robert Wise. I yeah. mean, the, the the cool thing about this, as we said, Wise has an extensive back catalogue, and being that you know he directed one of the well, the first ever Star Trek film, will definitely be touching on his career again. So we'll be coming back to Wise. Mm. Do it. We'll make you wise to what? <laughs> wise up. <laughs> so uh, until then, it's goodbye from me, Liam Dempsey. It's goodbye from me, Matt Brothers. And goodbye from me, Paul from Beyond the Grave. Happy Halloween! If you enjoyed this episode of Spotlight and wish to support us, you can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter at Spotlight Pod. You can also get in touch and drop us a message directly by emailing spotlightpod at gmail.com.